When many of us pursue a passion or an activity, it is because we like the activity itself. We are focused on mastery, on learning a new skill. And it is also inherently satisfying because maybe it has something to do with our values and interests called self-concordant goals. But what happens whenever you are doing this activity for a very long time and you reach a plateau and you are no longer experiencing growth and the motivation that comes from growth? We cover that and a lot more with today's guest, Mario Fraioli. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about high performance and well-being, and I'm your host, Sonia. And if you're new around here, I am a world and multi-time national champion in mountain biking, and I still race professionally. I'm a health and mental performance coach, a writer, a mom of two little kids, and I own my own business. And if you're not new around here, welcome. I'm so glad that you're back, and I'm so grateful that you are a part of this awesome community and that we get to learn and grow together. I think consistency comes from commitment. So if you're going to commit to something, like whether it's going to be to train for a marathon, whether it's going to be to write a newsletter, whether it's going to be just to like show up in your relationship, you know, I, I mean, I think if you're going to make a commitment to something, there's like consistency is inherent in that. And what form it takes is going to be different depending on the pursuit. But I mean, I just look myself in the mirror and say, no, you committed to this. Like you're, you know, you're going to do it. And I think it's just like being as honest as, as that, because if, if I gave into those feelings when I just didn't feel like doing something, I mean, nothing would ever get done. Usually it's, you know, just taking that first step can usually be the spark that just kind of gets the wheels in motion. And, you know, again, that mood starts to improve once you've taken action. So I just try not to let it paralyze me. Welcome back, my friends. If you are new here, I am so excited that you are listening to this podcast. Welcome, and make sure you check out some of our other episodes if you enjoy this. If you need to sort them, because we have many episodes, over 350 episodes, go to sonyalooney.com slash podcasts, and there's a drop-down menu where you can search things like plant-based nutrition, motherhood, psychology, race reports, and a lot more. I'm really excited about today's episode and the timing of it, because I'm actually working on a paper for school right now that is all about the intersection of harmonious and obsessive passion with grit and how we set goals and also our motivation. So this is very timely, even though this episode was recorded back in the summertime. Exciting announcement. There was an article published in the Washington Post that featured myself and previous podcast guest and Olympian Aaron Huck. It's about athlete motherhood and the psychological skills that you need in order to pursue big goals. We'll put that in the show notes for you if you are interested in reading it yourself or sharing it with an athlete mom. It was written by Yael Schoenbrunn, who has been on this podcast a couple of times. She is an ACT psychologist. She is also a professor at Brown University and the author of the book Work, Parent, Thrive. So I highly recommend that you check out all of those podcasts with these amazing guests, Aaron Huck and Yael Schoenbrunn, and that you read the article. If you're enjoying the show, please don't forget to leave us a review on your favorite podcast player and hit that subscribe button as that helps this show find others. I was really excited to get Mario Fraioli on the podcast. You may be familiar with his very popular newsletter called The Morning Shakeout and his podcast. As athletes, we often get caught up in the pursuit of external achievements and measurable metrics. It's really easy to do and it's a slippery slope because we might start running or riding our bikes because we enjoy it, but then we start 
doing things like measuring our times or going on Strava or doing races where these external rewards or external feedback can pollute the reasons why we're doing the activity in the first place. Winning races, setting personal records, and standing on podiums can be incredibly fulfilling, and accomplishment is a big part of well-being. But Coach Mario Fraioli and I, he's a running coach, we discussed a topic that we are both deeply passionate about, doing an activity for its own sake. Research from self-determination theory and cognitive evaluation theory discuss how extrinsic rewards can be detrimental to intrinsic motivation. Instead of doing an activity because you enjoy it, you start doing it for the rewards. That can undermine your focus for the reason that you're doing the activity and you forget why you are enjoying it. In this conversation, Mario and I discuss how the process, the dedication, and the commitment itself can bring deep satisfaction regardless of the outcome. It's a powerful shift in perspective, recognizing that the journey can be just as fulfilling as the destination. And if you've been following my work for any period of time or any of my social medias, you see that my personal philosophy is the work is the reward. And that is precisely what we are talking about here. So let me tell you about Mario before we dive in. Mario is a running coach and the mastermind behind the Morning Shakeout newsletter and podcast. He's a former newspaper and magazine editor and writer. In our conversation, Mario shares his insights on dealing with plateaus, navigating the delicate balance of when to pivot or quit, and the importance of consistency, even when our path becomes less enjoyable. We also tackle subjects close to our hearts, such as identity, aging, and how to live by our values in various aspects of life. This podcast came to be because I heard Mario on another podcast talking about these things, which are always on top of my mind. As I've been at many of my activities for a very long time, I have a lot of grit, a lot of passion and perseverance for long-term goals. But sometimes that means coming on a plateau. So this podcast, the downloads have plateaued. My results as an athlete, while they are wonderful, they have plateaued. And whenever you've been working at something for five years, 10 years, 20 years, your entire life, your improvements are not going to be as obvious as they once were. Mario's expertise spans from everyday age group runners to world-class athletes, helping them achieve extraordinary feats in the running world. His guidance has led athletes to personal bests, national records, and even the Olympic Games. So Mario has a lot of experience in his own work and in his experience with athletes on how we pursue goals and what that actually means whenever you achieve them or don't achieve them. Over-indexing our identity on the thing that we do can be a dangerous proposition, especially whenever we have to perform well in order to feel like our self-esteem is being supported. I've spent most of my last decade thinking about this and writing about this and researching this. True happiness and contentment can be found in relationships that we cultivate and the lifestyle that we create, not necessarily on the outcomes of goals and achievements. We need accomplishments in order to have life satisfaction, but the process and way in which we go about that really matters. That's a huge part of my coaching practice. It's a huge part of my online uh, Moxie and Grit Mindset Academy and all the work that I do is I want to help people define what is a good process so that you can find satisfaction and fulfillment while you are pursuing excellence. In this podcast, Mario emphasizes that growth extends beyond external markers of measurable progress. It can be internal, personal, and deeply meaningful. Sometimes it's the lessons that we learn, the resilience we develop, and the growth and wisdom that we gain 
that truly define our journey instead of the growth of an external marker of our own progress. As athletes and individuals, embracing this broader perspective allows us to appreciate the full spectrum of growth. Understanding your values and the reason why you are doing something is deeply impactful whenever you are pivoting from one thing to the next. And actually, next week's podcast with Brad Stolberg on his book, Master of Change, will be a great follow-up to this episode that I've recorded with Mario. And it's kind of ironic that he and Mario are also friends. All right, let's dive into this very exciting episode. I know that you're going to learn a lot and you are probably going to feel seen in ways that you didn't realize. So here is Mario Fraioli. Mario, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I've been wanting to have you on the podcast for a long time as I've been a listener of yours and a reader of your newsletter. And you've been doing both of those things for a really long time. And you are a successful runner and running coach. So can you give us kind of a background about yourself? And then we can start picking up some of the pieces from there. I mean, that was a great introduction right there. I'll take that <laughs> 10 out of 10 times. But yeah, I'm Mario Fraioli. Uh, I do a lot of things. I spend most of my working time coaching runners of all levels for all different disciplines. I've been doing that uh, to varying degrees since 2004, but it is how I spend most of my working time now. In a previous life, I worked as a newspaper and magazine editor and a writer for a bunch of different publications. Most people who are familiar with my my work know me from uh, Competitor Magazine and Competitor.com, which sadly doesn't exist anymore, but I was there for six years. So I have a lot of stuff that is still on the internet from my time there. But in 2015, I started my newsletter called The Morning Shakeout. And that was while I was still on staff at Competitor. And it was really just a creative itch that I wanted to scratch. But I was on Twitter at the time. I put out a tweet one day and said, I'm doing this thing. It's coming out next week. If you want to get it, sign up for it right here. And as of of this conversation today, just this morning, I put out issue number 407. So it's been 407 straight weeks of the morning shakeout email newsletter. And since that first issue went out a little over a year later, I started taking on partnerships, sponsorships from different brands. And that is how I spend a decent chunk of, of my working time now. And a little over a year after I launched the newsletter, I came out with a podcast of the same name. And I am 200 and as of this morning, 27 episodes into the podcast. And I've had a lot of conversations with athletes, coaches, activists, writers, behind the scenes folks, uh, mostly mostly in running, but people that I've just wanted to go deeper into conversation with, learn a little bit more about and share their story with a wider audience. That's funny. I was a freelance writer and I wrote for Competitor a number of times back in the day. And that's such a great magazine. Yeah. I mean, it started as this like regional multi-sport magazine Um in California. And then they gobbled up a bunch of other regional publications. And when I started there in 2010, I was the the web editor and competitor was making a shift to being a running magazine. And it had an interesting distribution model. It was available at gyms, PT offices, Jamba Juices. Uh, it was free. You could just pick it up off a newsstand, but it had like a glossy cover to it. And Brian Metzler, who was the editor in chief, he and I really steered the ship and in that direction. And until the 
company changed ownership in, in 2016, it was a thing. And sadly, it's it's no longer a thing. It became Podium Runner and now it's outside run. But uh, a lot of the stuff that we did um, during that 2010 to 2016 time period still lives online. So I'm glad that it's not totally gone. So something that I think about a lot um, when people do lots of different things, and this is a problem that I myself mm-hmm. have trouble with, is like when someone asks you what you do, you don't want to give them like a five minute answer of what, of what like you I do. just did. Yeah. Well, I mean, like on the podcast, we want to do that. But, you know, sure. if you're like at a coffee shop and you meet someone for the first time and they ask you what you do, like, how do you answer that question concisely? Yeah, I that's a great question. My answer has changed over the years. And now for the purpose of precision, I just say that I coach runners, which in itself is an interesting conversation starter because the first follow-up question someone will throw at me is, do you mean Olympians? And, and I'll say, well, I've I've coached an Olympian, but most of the people that I coach are just everyday people like you and I who have jobs and families and uh, don't do this professionally, don't get paid. And it's a big part of their life. And that's always um, for people who aren't in this world is usually very interesting to them that average people would have a coach. So I just, for simplicity's sake, I just, I go with that. And then depending where that conversation goes, I may tell someone about my newsletter or my, my podcast, but I mean, I do spend from an hour standpoint, most of my working time coaching runners. So I just, I just go with that because it's the easiest way to answer that question. When it comes to coaching runners, you've been doing it, you said in some capacity since 2004, that's almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. How do you find joy and interest in it after doing it for that long? On a very basic level, every runner's different. Every person's entry into the sport is different. What they're focusing on from a competitive standpoint is different. Their backgrounds are different. How they respond to training is different. So, I mean, I look at every athlete as a unique puzzle. So that in itself keeps it very interesting to me. The other thing, and I, I'm fairly unique in this regard, but I'm I'm certainly not the only person who does this. I coach runners from the mile to like over hundred mile ultra marathons um, and everything and anything in between from cross country to marathons, half marathons, which is sort of my sweet spot, more traditional like trail ultras, that sort of thing. So, I mean, that keeps it interesting too. Because if I was just coaching say sub three hour marathoners, I mean, it does get a little bit formulaic at that point and you see a lot of the same things. And, you know, I still have some of that just given the breadth of athletes uh, that I coach. But the fact that, you know, in any given day I'm talking to, I mean, I just got off the phone with one of my athletes a little while ago, who's getting ready for a multi-day race. Um, And I had an athlete over the weekend who raced a marathon and broke three hours for the first time. And just a couple weeks ago, I had someone else who broke 515 in the mile for the first time. Right. So, I mean, just having that type of, of diversity for me is sort of like a built-in way of keeping things interesting. And it keeps me on my toes too, just from a coaching perspective. Yeah, something that I think is really interesting, especially about road running, is that people will run for a time, whereas with trail mm-hmm. running or like even like mountain biking, you're not necessarily going for a specific mile time. So how do you help people that are really focused on an outcome part? Like, oh, it needs to be sub three hours or it needs to be sub 515. Like, how do you help them stay focused and and find joy in what they're doing? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It's challenging. I mean, I'll just be upfront about that. It's, it's challenging to do, to 
I hate to say break someone from that mindset, but to shift them from that mindset, because there is a time and a place for that, especially if they are trying to do something that is, you know, very concrete, break three hours for the marathon, hit a Boston qualifying time. It's like those, it's pretty black and white. You either hit the mark or, or you don't, but it can't be all about that because more often than not, you're just going to feel like you're butting your head against the wall and you're continually frustrated. So it's getting them to take a more process oriented approach to, not only our, our training, but just this lifestyle of, of being a runner, being an endurance athlete in general. If your happiness is tied up in numbers, whether that's a personal best, where you place on the podium, I mean, you know this as, as an elite athlete yourself, like it's not going to be very filling, right? So it's like trying to find meaning beyond those things. And I think those things can be important and they can be guideposts for us, certainly when we are formulating the the training necessary to do the thing. But I think beyond that, it's like getting people, especially the average uh, everyday age grouper to realize like this is, this is a lifestyle and hopefully it's something that you can do, you know, for a long time. And you take so much more away from it than winning the age group, setting the personal best, qualifying for Boston, whatever it may be for you. Yeah. And like the lifestyle piece also makes me think a little bit about identity because, mm-hmm. you know, those two are intertwined. And also when somebody is training for something, whether they're training five hours a week or 25 hours a week, they have to think about how they want to spend their time and they have to be intentional about that so that it's not super myopic. Um, so how do you help people with that type of, I don't want to call it balance, but I, I usually call it intentional imbalance. Yeah. I, I like intentional imbalance. I know exactly what you mean when you say that. I think a lot of, I'll speak specifically about runners because that's who I coach. They'll say, I'm a marathoner. I'm an ultra runner. And I'm like, well, that's part of who you are, but you're so much more than that. And some of it's obvious, right? It's like, well, I'm also a, a partner. I'm also a parent. I'm also in in some cases, a, a coach. Uh, I'm a friend, I'm a brother. And, and it's like, yeah, that, that's obvious, but you need to remind people of that sometimes, because I think when people are so fixated on a goal, something that is very important to them, they do get this very like narrow field of vision. They do become myopic and they're thinking like, I'm just this thing. And it's like, that's part of who you are, but whether you do the thing or not, when it's over, you know, then what are you? Is is that all you are? No, you're all these other things as well. And I mean, I think those reminders are important um, after someone achieves something really special, as well as if they fall short and disappoint themselves, um, because that's that's often when I have to step in and be like, look, you know, it stinks that you came up short of your goal. That's life. It happens sometimes, but you still have this great family that thinks the world of you. They're super supportive. You still have this community, you know, that you're going to show up and meet with on Wednesday night at the track to, you know, to do your workout. Like it didn't fundamentally change everything. And we all need, you know, those, you know, those reminders. I recently had a conversation with a a good friend of mine, uh, Brad Stolberg, who has a book coming out called master of change. And we talked a bit about identity and the analogy or metaphor that he uses is that of a house. He's like, you need to be more than a studio apartment or a one-room house. You need to have all of these rooms in your house so that if one room is is full or you just need to get out of it because it's too hot or whatever the reason may be, you have these other rooms to go to. And I, I really like that. I mean, I think that's a good way to think about it. I mean, if if we're going to be, you know, if we're just going to be like this one-room house and and something happens, and what are you left with, right? So it's like you got to have you got to have some other places to go and other ways to identify yourself and just find meaning, not only in whatever your chosen pursuit is, but just your life in general. Yeah, Brad is such a great writer and speaker. He's been on the show a few times, and we're actually doing an interview pretty soon about that book, which I thought was absolutely phenomenal. And like I think about fulfillment a lot, and you and I have both kind of 
talked about this before, but you know, when you've achieved a lot of things, you tend to think, well, when I achieve a certain number of things, then I'll be fulfilled and satisfied in my life. But fulfillment isn't always about achievement. Fulfillment mm-hmm. is achievement is part of what that is. So like, how do you think about fulfillment now? You know, you've been doing lots of things successfully for a long time and you've worked with a lot of successful people. Yeah. My thoughts on it have shifted a lot over the last 20 years. And achievement is like a very like tiny, minuscule part of what brings me fulfillment. So if I rewind to when I got out of college in 2004, I I was a a pretty good college runner. I was an All-American. I had done some pretty you know, good things on the competitive side of the sport. And I really wanted to go pro, but I wasn't like that good where companies were going to offer me a contract coming out of college, but I thought that I I could do it. And I thought that that's who, who I was, who I was meant to be. And that was going to make me, you know, super happy. And uh, I mean, that could be a, a two hour podcast in itself, just going through all of that, but to fast forward through, through all of it, I, that didn't happen. I ended up literally breaking myself in places that a healthy male in his early 20s should not be breaking himself. I isolated myself from a lot of people who were important in my life and thankfully still are today. But I mean, I I lived a very like closed off, you know, type of lifestyle and I was miserable and I had a terrible relationship with the sport of running generally, but also just, just myself. And it took hitting rock bottom for me a few years after college to really step away. And I did, I stepped away from sport for the better part of a year, almost, almost exactly a year. And some of that was even after the injury that I had healed, because I realized I'm like, I don't have a good relationship with this. And if I can't improve that relationship, then I need to get out of it. And so, you know, really the last, I'd say since 2008, so almost 15 years now have been this, you know, continual process of, rebuilding my relationship with running and re-examining what it is that brings me fulfillment. And I still love to compete. I love to train hard, you know, but those things occupy a much healthier place in my life now than they did in my early twenties, because, you know, if I come short of, of my goal, you know, say hitting a particular time in, in the marathon, like, yeah, I'll be a little disappointed. I think that's, that's normal, but it doesn't ruin my day. Um, you know, I can have that perspective now that, you know, nothing fundamentally changed and like, I'm still going to be the same person tomorrow and I'm still going to go meet with the guys next week to run. And it's like, those are the things that bring me fulfillment. It wasn't about the outcome or the achievement. It is about, like I was talking about earlier, that, that lifestyle and all the other wonderful things that, it's brought into my life, especially the people. I mean, I'd say most of the most meaningful people in my life outside of my family directly or indirectly have come through, have come through sport and they haven't been, you know, it wasn't people that I beat in races or in some cases, yeah, I did compete against them, but our relationship went much deeper than that. And really for me, like, that's what it's about. It's finding fulfillment in, in those places and the people that I get to share these things with and the experiences that I have and the lessons that they teach me to me, like that's, you know, that's fulfilling. I mean, and as I said a little while ago, I still love to train hard and I still love to compete, but I also realize for me, bringing it back to the lifestyle side of things, it's, it's so much more than that. I mean, running oftentimes might be the only time that I get out of the house every day. So it's an opportunity to get out in nature. It's a way to explore, especially if I'm visiting a new city you know, at my age, I, I'm a little over 40 years old. Many of my, my peers have busy lives too. You know, they're working, they have kids. I mean, you know how this is, Sonia. It's like, uh, you try to find those opportunities to get together. Oftentimes it's on a run, you know, and that's to me, like to have that time to spend an hour with someone that I care about is, you know, very, very fulfilling. And I'll take that, you know, 
11 out of 10 times over lining up for a race now. And I still love to do that. But I mean, if you, if you kind of like put me up against the wall and said, you can never race again, I'd be like, that's fine. It's, it's not about that. And I mean, I had a taste of that in 2020 and, and that was just like another, I think just speaking for myself personally, like learning moment, there were no, there were no races. So I couldn't find fulfillment in that very type of like tangible achievement. And I, and for a while I couldn't even like, at least I didn't run with people for a few months. And thankfully, like we transitioned out of that relatively quickly, but I mean, I was able to find so much more fulfillment just in the, in the pursuit that had nothing to do with the workouts, nothing to do with the races, nothing to do with the results. Yeah. I think that's a really important perspective that doing an activity for the sake of the activity itself, and then all of the positive lifestyle benefits that you gain from something is really important. And you're right. Like the pandemic was a a great example of that. And some people really struggled not having that carrot in front of them to chase for whatever, whatever that reason was that you need the carrot. And, you know, all of us have different relationships with the validation of achievement. And something that I've thought about a lot and I've done some research on is, um, extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. So Mm -hmm. people can be intrinsically driven initially to do something, but once they start getting this external validation or these extrinsic motivators, it actually screws up their intrinsic motivation because they forget why they do it in the first place. So how do you help some of the people you coach deal with that when they start achieving things? Yeah, it's a great question. And that's something I've struggled with myself personally too, in my own life with sport, but even outside of it. And we could definitely get into that if you'd like to, but I often remind my athletes to reflect on why they got into the sport in the first place. And for some of them, like myself, it was in high school and it was an opportunity to be a part of a team, to do something with your friends after school, you know, to try something new. I mean, it was very like, you know, innocent type of beginnings. It wasn't, at least in in my life, it wasn't their parent pushed them to try and be a national champion or something like that at, at 12 years old. And that's all, that's all they ever knew. So it can be as simple as that sometimes. It's like remembering why you got into this in in the first place, because it's an easy thing to lose sight of, especially the further that you are away from that in terms of time, but also in terms of like achievements, because most people don't see that instant success. I mean, that will come over time. And I do think success can change your relationship to the thing. And, And that's maybe where you cross that threshold from being like intrinsically intrinsically motivated to do the thing for the thing itself and the ways that it fulfills you versus to get some external reward, hit, you know, the qualifying time, you know, have an article written about you in the newspaper, whatever it is that, you know, people are chasing. So I think it's constantly reminding yourself like why you got into the thing in, in the first place. And I think for me, from a coaching standpoint, I try to be very intentional about how I write out someone's training because there are you know, workouts that are important that you need to hit if you want to do the thing that you want to do. But I think you have to have other days where you're just doing it for the love. Like it's, it's kind of a love, love for the game type of thing. I mean, I often like to say that I play track, right? I mean, I, I just love the feeling of going to the track and like being on the oval and ripping off some fast 200s. I mean, even if it's like, there's no race happening. Like I just, I love the feeling of doing that when I'm doing that. It's, it's called playing track for me. And I try to have my athletes do that as well. I mean, for a lot of my trail runners, especially if they start seeing some success and, you know, they're qualifying for the UTMB or Western States or whatever it happens to be. Um, and they're like, I got to take myself more seriously now I'm, I'm in this, in this thing and it's fairly select company. And it's like, yeah, you do have to be like dialed in about certain things. Those races will chew you up if you're not careful, but let's not lose sight of why you started trail running in the first place. And you have days when you go out and it's like, you're not obligated to 
hit X time or X miles or X amount of vert, like you're just going to play in the trails. And I think it's important to have that and you have to be intentional about it because you know, if not, it's easy to get caught up in the inertia of success and, you know, wanting to continually just like build and build and build upon that. And uh, that's just not sustainable. I don't care who you are. Yeah, we're definitely going to get into that outside of sport, but I wanted to start with sport because it's a really great like microcosm. I think um, so too. Mm-hmm. Another place I wanted to go was, you know, you mentioned you're over 40. I just turned 40 a few days ago. A lot of people listening. Oh, happy belated um, birthday. Thank you. And I like to proudly say that I turned 40 because aging is something that I, I'm passionate about talking about because a lot of people are ashamed of their age and the way that our culture views aging is actually quite negative. But a lot of people ask me about aging, a lot of the talks that I've given about, you know, the mental side of sport. And people ask, well, how do I deal with comparison to myself, not to other people, but comparison to myself and expectations of myself and what I'm capable of as I'm getting older and as I have different priorities? Like, how do you wrestle with that? Yeah, I think it's accepting that it's always changing and you can't really... I think whether it's sport or other areas of, of your life, belonging for how things used to be, because things will never be how they used to be. They are how they are now, and they're probably going to be different, you know, a few months from now. So I think a lot of that comes just down to presence and, you know, being and in the context of sport, like being honest with yourself about like one, how old you are, maybe how long you've been doing the sport changes that may or may not be happening in your body and how that's going to affect your ability to do something in the way that you used to do it. In my sport, especially on the roads or on the track, it is very time-based and it is black and white. And and that can be to people's detriment sometimes because they're always comparing you know, themselves. And I'm certainly guilty of this myself to what you did five years ago. You know, And, and I was very intentional about saying what you did five years ago, because some people will say who you were five years ago. It's like what you did five years ago, what you did 10 years ago. And, and that's a, an easy trap to fall into, but I think you have to like actively work to make sure that you don't get too deep into it. Because for myself, I I look at the times that I ran when I was 20, I'm just, I'm not going to hit those. I'm at a very different point of my life. You know, I've had a lot of life experience that's happened between now and then. My responsibilities are different. Uh, The demands on my time are different. I, I have to remind myself when you did that at the age of 20, you were a college student you probably weren't taking your classes as seriously as you needed to. I mean, you could sleep nine to 10 hours a night. You napped every afternoon. And I mean, you were essentially like able to focus on on athletics and everything else was was not that important. And now it's like, yeah, I can still take my pursuit seriously, but it's probably like the fifth thing on the priority list. I have a lot of other things that, you know, take precedence over my competitive goals. And I just have to be honest with myself about that. And that can be hard, but I also think approaching it from the lens of curiosity more so than comparison makes a big difference. And and for me, when I turned 40, that was really a, a, a very deliberate shift that I made was to approach it with curiosity. I was like, okay, I'm in a new decade here. What can I do in these events that I've been doing for 20 plus years now that I'm 40 and at this different point of my life. And and I've surprised myself pleasantly a couple of times with that. And I mean, it's on paper, it's not nearly as fast as it was 20 years ago, but I'm like, wow, I didn't think that I could do that. Just kind of given my lifestyle now, how much I'm able to train the other demands on my time. And that's a fun feeling. Like that's a really cool feeling. And I try to impart that upon my athletes. I do coach a lot of master's aged athletes who are in their 40s and their 50s and beyond and are trying to find, you know, that joy, that fulfillment in in sport while also wrestling with the reality that on paper 
the times are slowing down. And and sometimes that, that's actually a helpful forcing function and realizing, well, there's not really much I can do about that. I mean, you can to a degree, but at some point as you age, when when it relates to sport, like you're going to slow down. I mean, that's just, you know, biology will catch up to you. But, you know, I think it can be something people struggle with, but I also think it can be helpful if you frame it in the right way. Yeah, that curiosity kind of like releases the pressure valve because you're not now looking and judging and expecting. You're more open in your approach to it. But I also think that it's hard for people to transition from being quote special because if you're the fast guy on the the group ride or the fast mm-hmm. fast woman in town, you know, who's like knocking off all the the Strava segments or whatever, and now all of a sudden you're not and you're not quote special anymore. That's really hard for people to cope with because now if you put all of your self-worth on that specialness, then now you don't feel good anymore. Yeah. I think that's also an opportunity to one, just look yourself in the mirror and see yourself for much more than that. You know, you've got to be more than just the fast guy in the group ride or, you know, the fast girl on the long run, whatever, whatever it happens to be. And that doesn't happen overnight. I think that takes just a lot of, of personal work, but it does force you to find a wider identity for yourself than just that. And I do think that generally from an identity standpoint, if it is very narrow, the longer that goes on, the tougher that's going to be for you to break from. So the earlier that you can find different ways to identify, but also just different sources of meaning and whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's sport, whether it's your profession, your family, et cetera. I mean, it just gives you more tools in your box to work through those times when, you know, it gets tough or you are challenged or you're not sure exactly where to go or what to do. So I reached out to you as a couple months ago, cause I heard you on another podcast and some of the things that you were saying it was like you were reading my mind and saying some of the things out loud that I was almost afraid to say out loud. Like, well, what happens whenever, you know, your podcast downloads plateau Mm -hmm. or, you know, just everything, all the work that you're doing is plateauing and not growing anymore. Because a lot of the time when we set goals, even if we're setting a process goal, we'll think in terms of growth, maybe not in terms of outcome, but I need to be seeing a trajectory that is upward, even if it's not like linear, I still want to see an upward trajectory. And at some point that's actually going to level off for, and and I thought that maybe it was just me, but it sounds like it's not just me, that this is actually quite common. So you and I had a phone call. We're like, okay, well, mm-hmm. you know, what do you do whenever those things are leveling off? And how do you make sure that you're still excited and motivated when you're not seeing the growth that you initially were? Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that we're talking about this. It's such a, it's such a deep nuanced topic. I mean, you think about just, something that's out in the world that's like having a growth mindset. Right. Um, and that just implies like, Oh, well, you're always, you're always looking to grow. It's like, well, infinite growth is just, I don't care if it's sport, if it's business, if it's, I mean, just look to nature. It's, it just, it's not realistic. It's not possible. You know, at some point things need to stabilize and, and plateau. And I don't know if this is a Western thing, more so than anything else, but we're fed this like in our popular media uh, and throughout our our culture. It's like, if you're, you know, if you're not growing, you're dead. And it's like, no, that's not actually true. At some point things need to stabilize and it's healthy to, you know, to do that. And, you know, not all progress is linear. And I think inherently a lot of us know that, but we have a hard time accepting it. And I certainly have too. I mean, to go back to something we were talking about a, a few minutes ago, when I started my my newsletter, I had zero professional ambitions behind it. It was just a creative itch that I wanted to scratch. I, I didn't think 
20 people were going to sign up for it. And I think it, the first issue went out to, you know, 200 people, which, you know, sort of floored me, but I wasn't, I didn't have sponsors or, or partners that I, you know, that I had to report to. It was just something that I, I did. And, you know, again, fast forward, like a little over a year later, I bring sponsors on board and it is a way that, you know, I'm making income. It does change the relationship to it. And for a while I was thinking, oh, well, I've got to keep growing this thing. You know, I've got to show those numbers to my partners that, that, yeah, look, this thing's growing like 40% year over year. And it did for, for a few years. And, um, and that's exciting when it happens. And then it leveled off. And at first I'm like panicked. Oh no, uh, this isn't good. I'm not gonna be able to bring sponsors on next year. And then you realize at least in this particular situation that at some point this was inevitable. There's not like a big drop off because I haven't said or done anything that just like pushed people away, but you know, it's had the same number of subscribers now, you know, and there is normal churn that happens for, for a while. And the people who really enjoy getting it every week, they really enjoy getting it every week. And I think that's a good thing. You know, I think it's good that I've kind of like landed at, at that place. And doesn't mean that that I won't jump another level and have, you know, some growth, but I'm not chasing it. You know, I'm more thinking about now. I'm like, you know what? I want to make something that feels right to me, but also the people who are here to, you know, enjoy it are are doing so, you know, rather than just chasing numbers. Because I think that happens like whether it's you know, in a professional context, uh, like a, a newsletter or a podcast where you just, you're just chasing numbers, chasing downloads. You, you just want to see that hockey stick continuing to go up. Or, you know, I see this in my coaching practice with my athletes. I mean, at some point you're going to plateau, like you, you just can't infinitely keep taking time off of the marathon. Or, I mean, more often than not, what happens is you take off huge chunks of time and that's super exciting. And then those chunks get smaller and smaller as you get faster. And then it's like, you know, it was hours and then it was minutes and now it's like seconds. And, you know, that can be hard at some point you plateau and it's like, that's okay. You know, if you're consistently like performing at what is a good level for you, like you should take some confidence from that and not let it beat you down because you're not, it's just not going to be realistic to keep getting faster, keep getting more, 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 more. But I do think like that is what we're fed a lot societally. And for better or worse, we can't really get ourselves out of that, out of that mindset. Yeah. And then there comes a dissatisfaction when you don't see more. And mm-hmm. then you start trying to, like you said, you want to get more downloads, you want to get, you know, more followers or whatever it is. And then the quality of the work that you put out suffers. Exactly. And the reason why you're doing it in the first place is no longer that reason. Kind of what we were talking about earlier about now you have these like extrinsic markers, like number of followers or money or things like that. And that can pollute your meaning and purpose behind why you are doing it. Yeah. Especially this day and age with social media and we know what everyone else is doing all the time. I mean, you know, thinking about it in sport, I mean, if you're following someone on Strava or on Instagram, someone's going to PR every week. It's just, it's going to happen. Um, and you always will feel like the person who didn't PR that week. Same thing in our world with podcasts or newsletters. Someone's going to brag about hitting 400,000 subscribers or 5 million downloads. I mean, that's, someone's going to hit that every day, but you always feel like, ah, oh, that's, that's just not me. And then when you do have wins, you fail to recognize them too. And I think that's where you know, speaking from my own experience, again, like people can get into trouble. You fail fail to realize like, oh, I did get to this, you know, good level, but I'm constantly comparing myself to what I didn't do or what the other person did. And, you know, as Brad Solberg likes to say, the goalpost is always 10 yards down the field. And I think that's a, that's a trap of, and a very dangerous one that many of us get caught in from time to time. 
Yeah. So I guess the question that we're trying to answer is what's enough and what does that mean? Like, it doesn't mean that you have to be complacent and stop trying, but like what's enough so that you can quote, feel like you've done enough. Yeah. And that's going to, that's completely subjective and it's going to differ depending on the person and, and the context. But I think being able to figure out what that is for you. I mean, that's an exercise that I've done personally over the last few years is really try and look at my life as a whole and all these different areas that that make it up and understand like I have I have enough. I don't need to chase, you know, more money or more followers or more of this. I mean, sometimes you do for very like practical reasons, but you know, it, it does force you to like do some accounting and be like, well, what do I want? Like, what do I really need? What do I really want? And just being like super clear about that. What's it going to take to get there? And then recognizing when you do get there and realizing, okay, I don't have to like do that plus five or that plus 10. Like this, this is enough. And um, people, like, it sounds crazy, but people get uncomfortable and they get there when they have enough because we always feel like we should have or want a little bit more because that's what everyone around us is doing, or at least what we're paying attention to, whether it's on social media or over the internet, it's what society's telling us. Like, no, you should want the bigger house. You should want more followers. You should want to go faster. You should want to grow your business type of thing. And I I mean, speaking for myself, I've just gotten to a point in the last few years where I am comfortable with the idea of enough. And it took a while to get comfortable with that. But then once you get there, I mean, it's not easy, but it's freeing. You just, you realize you know, what's actually important and what's going to bring you back to what we were talking about earlier, fulfillment, you know, and it's not going to be the numbers. It's not, yeah, it's just it's not going to be the numbers. Oftentimes it's numbers, whether it's money or followers or times or whatever it happens to be, that's not going to bring you the fulfillment. It's much deeper than that. Yeah, I think, you know, not to sound cliche, but really understanding what your values are can help drive your, your process because process doesn't always mean progress. Yes. And also the acceptance of it's almost like a human condition, at least in our culture of nothing's ever going to feel like enough. Like you'll get quote there and then it's just not going to feel like it's enough. So being really careful when you're setting goals, am I trying to set a goal so that I can feel a certain way? Because when I get there, I'll feel a certain way knowing, you know, having the the, the wisdom to know, okay, well, I'm going to get quote there and I'm still not going to feel the way that I think I'm going to feel when I get there. Cause I'm going to be different. Exactly. And I think those core values are are key. They're foundational. And, you know, what does a foundation do? It holds you down. So without those core values, you don't have something holding you down. And then what are you going to do? You're just going to be, you're just going to be chasing whatever's happening around you because it all looks enticing. It all looks, it all looks good. They're all things that you feel like, you know, you need, but if you have that foundation in place and you're constantly checking in on it and making sure like, yep, I got these key things in place. Like I'm not going anywhere. I'm good. The more you do that, the more comfortable you're going to feel with that situation, the less likely you are to just be chasing things for the sake of chasing them. Yeah. Like through this sort of choppy water of chasing, I came to a concise phrase, the work is the reward. Because Mm -hmm. to me, that means that it doesn't matter, you know, if it's going uphill or downhill or what the extrinsic parts of it are. And it's okay to want those things. But really, at the end of the day, the things that you're doing on a daily basis is that rewarding in and of itself, because that is where you're going to feel satisfied and fulfilled. And it doesn't mean you're in a vacuum, but something to consider is that that work part is the reward. Yeah, I love that. It actually reminds me of a t-shirt that I have, which I bought from uh, Semi-Rad, Brendan Leonard, and he calls it the Zen of running. And it's just, it's just words, but it's in this infinite circle and it says put in the miles and then it has an arrow 
it says it says put in the mile so you can put in the mile so you can put in the mile so and it's like same thing the work is the the reward it's like you know you're not putting in the miles to achieve the result you're putting in the miles so you can continue to put in the miles because by doing that you know you're going to find that fulfillment um that moment of zen uh, at least the way that he titled the the t-shirt at least that's how i interpreted it yeah and i think that there's this sort of polarizing thinking that if you enjoy the work or you quote feel like that's enough that well now you're not going to be growing anymore and that growth and upward progress are analogous or, or that they have to be together. But whenever you're growing, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be progressing in an external way. You can be growing mm. even if you're not as fast, even if you don't have as many followers or downloads or money or whatever those things are. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad you said that. I think a lot of people equate growth with something that you can measure <laughs> and all the things that we talked about, you know, times, money, follower accounts, et cetera. You can measure all of those things. Like it's very easy to understand and wrap your head around when there's actual growth. But I think when you reach this point where you feel like you have enough or you know that you have enough, it doesn't mean the growth stops. It's just the growth isn't going to be something that is so obvious to you or something that is going to be easily measurable. It's often, you know, internal, you know, very intrinsic type of thing. So how do you decide when to pivot? Because we've talked about this a little bit as well. And when you're doing something for a really long time, you know, our personality types, it's like you're gritty, you can, you're consistent, you stick to things for a long time. Like, how do you decide when it's time to make some changes? I don't think there is an easy answer to that because there are times when you do have to see something through and just continue pushing. And it may not work out, but you've just got to give yourself the the shot and, and be okay with that. Like, all right, this isn't going to work out. And and you know that there's there's an endpoint to it. I think there are other areas where it's a little messier and not as obvious that there's, you know, an off-ramp or an endpoint. And you've just got to be honest with yourself and ask yourself, is this serving me? Is this giving me fulfillment? Is there a path forward? And if it's no, 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 you've got to be okay with quitting. I mean, there's there's something to be said for being gritty and pushing through, but I think it takes just as much, if not more courage to quit sometimes too. And, and I think, again, societally, I don't know if this has just been pushed upon us from every which angle, but I think there's, I think there's a lot of courage in quitting. And it's, it's tricky because I, I don't think you can just like be the gritty person who pushes through everything or be the person who just quits everything. I think it's, I think it's a lot more nuanced than that. And I think like there's got to be a healthy balance of, you know, of those two things. But I think either way, it comes back down to your, your core values, you know, and just being, you know, being honest about how solid your foundation is and realizing if, you know, if whatever pursuit it is that, you know, that you're on, if, if it's continuing to serve you, you know, and if not being okay with, with walking away, which can be scary. It is scary to be able to do that. And realizing that if something failed, it doesn't mean that you're a failure either. I think people have a, a hard time with that. I think that's why people stay in situations that they probably should have left, um, whether it's a job, whether it's a relationship, you know, whether it's with a sport sometimes too. I've seen all of those instances happen where if they knew what it was that gave them meaning and, and fulfillment, and they could just be honest with that, it might be hard to make a break, but ultimately they'd be they'd be better off because you know, they're being true to themselves in that situation. 
something else that I, I recently learned, like I've had a couple of psychologists on the podcast and I actually think I learned about ACK from Brad Silberg in the practice of groundedness when he wrote that book. Mm-hmm. But something they talk about a lot in ACT is values and how values can be practiced in multiple domains. So like family isn't necessarily a value. Family is a domain where your values are practiced. So whenever you need to make transitions in your life or you need to walk away from something, worrying that you're not going to feel like yourself, if you can find ways to practice those values in a different domain, that can actually be really fulfilling. Yeah, I would agree with that. Do you have any disagreements with that? (laughs) No, not off the top of my head. I don't think so. Yeah. So something else I wanted to ask you about, and I meant to ask it a lot earlier, was about consistency, because I think that that could be something that can be incredibly challenging for people to stay consistent when it comes to running or podcasting or writing a newsletter. How mm-hmm. do you stay consistent, especially when it's not always fun and it's mon- mundane to do that work? Yeah. I mean, for me, consistency is one of my core values, and that applies to many different areas of my life. But generally, if I'm going to commit to something because it's meaningful to me. I'm, you know, I want to be consistent in my pursuit of it, whatever that means. You know, in the case of my newsletter, that's putting it out on a weekly cadence. In terms of training, that means getting out more often than not. And even the days I don't feel like it, just realizing that I don't really have an excuse not to. I mean, sometimes you do if you're, you know, if you're hurt or you're sick, like, yes, you've got to take the day off and just be smart. I think that just comes down to, you know, to common sense, but realizing like mood is going to follow action. I mean, I've had plenty of mornings where I've woke up and I didn't feel like doing a lot of different things. I didn't feel like training. I didn't feel like writing my newsletter that day, but I, but I made that commitment. I think consistency comes from commitment. So if you're going to commit to something like whether it's going to be to train for a marathon, whether it's going to be to write a newsletter, whether it's going to be just to like show up in your relationship, you know, I, I mean, I think if you're going to make a commitment to something, there's like consistency is inherent in that and what form it takes is going to be different depending on the pursuit. But I mean, I just look myself in the mirror and say, no, you committed to this. Like you're, you know, you're going to do it. And I think it's just like, being as honest as, as that, because if, if I gave into those feelings when I just didn't feel like doing something, I mean, nothing would ever get done. I mean, nothing, nothing would ever get done. And usually it's, you know, just taking that, that first step can usually be the spark that just kind of gets the wheels in motion. And, you know, again, that mood starts to improve once you've taken action. So I just try not to try not to let it paralyze me. And I feel like when I'm I'm in that situation, I know that I just I need to do something. Like I need to just find the low hanging fruit, you know, pick it off, and that's going to just get the momentum going in in the right direction for me. Yeah, that was something that really helped me during pregnancies. Like I I rode my bike through well completely through both pregnancies. And there was lots of days I didn't want to get out the door, and I kind of thought about that mood follows action that I heard. I think it was Ritual that said that, and then I thought, well, more specifically, like motivation follows action. So I would mm-hmm. tell myself. I'm going to do five minutes. And if I don't want to do this anymore after five minutes, I can turn around and go home. And there were days I did turn around and go home after five minutes. But more often than not, I actually continued after five minutes because it's just the idea of having to get started. That is what holds us back. Yeah. I tell runners all the time, I call it the 10 minute rule. I'm like, give yourself 10 minutes, you know? So basically that means you have till no decisions get made before you're 10 minutes into the run. And then 10 minutes into the run, if you're not feeling better or more into it or feel like carrying on, turn around and go back. Because in that case, you've at least gotten in 20 minutes. You've done something. And more often than not, something is going to be better than nothing. There's a place for rest days and, and all of that. We're not going to go like that deep into the weeds. But you know that 10 minute rule, I mean, 
much like you just described, I mean, sometimes someone will run for 20 minutes. Usually they'll go like 30 to 60, if not longer. They just needed to like get through that first 10 minutes. I mean, same thing with with writing. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I've stared at a blank screen and said, nope, not happening to him. Like, just get a word down, you know, just write a sentence, you know, type of thing. I think, you know, the, what's the the funny quote? It's like, what's the best way to, to eat an elephant? It's like one bite at a time. And I, I think about that, you know, whether it's running a race, whether it's writing my newsletter every week, whatever it happens to be, it's like, just find the smallest chunk and and do that. And then find another small chunk. And those chunks are going to to add up. But I think oftentimes, I mean, with big, scary things, we paralyze ourselves because they're big, scary things. And we try to tackle it all at once. And you realize, no, I mean, for almost anything, that's not how that's not how it goes. I mean, there are just little steps along the way. And I think that's back to what we were talking about earlier, just being like very process oriented in, in everything that we do. Last thing I'll add about consistency, I just think it takes discipline. I think you need to build that discipline. And the more consistent you are with something over time, the more discipline you build ar- around that practice, whatever whatever it happens to be. But I mean, you've got to start stringing those days together, or stringing those words together, stringing those miles together first before you you can actually get there and realize it. Something that kind of popped in my mind when you talked about writing was the self-critical voice that pops up. And for me, like it doesn't really pop up as much with my sports. I mean, sometimes it does, but it really is loud when I'm trying to write something creative. And sometimes that that voice in our heads that tells us that we suck, that this is no good, that nobody's going to read this, that we're slow, that we're never going to amount to anything. Sometimes that voice is loud enough to stop people from doing more than their 10 minutes or writing more than one sentence. So once someone has actually started something and then that voice gets really loud, how do you overcome that? And I know that it's not a simple answer, but I just wanted yeah. to ask you. It, it's not a simple answer, but I think it comes down to drowning out the noise. And we've created that noise, whatever it is. I mean, just hearing you describe that. It's what is someone else going to think about this when they when they read it or um, when they take a look at it or they see me upload this run to Strava, whatever it happens to be. And it's like drown out all of that noise as, as best you can and just focus on yourself and why it's important and meaningful to you. And try not to think about the fact I do this with writing all the time, that you're doing it for yourself. Like I write primarily for myself. And if I can satisfy that audience, I mean... I think it'd be crass of me to say, like, I don't care what anyone else thinks about it, but then I, I'm comfortable enough with them. Like, this is good enough for me. You know, I can't really control what other people are going to think about it. But if I'm happy with what it is that I'm putting out, then I'm, I'm good with that. But it comes from dr- drowning out the noise. And I think just staying like very focused on yourself and what it is that you need to do to get the job done. So where can people sign up for your newsletter so they can read all of this great writing? The easiest place to do that is themorningshakeout.com. There is a sign-up form right on the homepage and themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe will take you to a another sign-up form. They both work all the same, but I mean, themorningshakeout.com is probably the easiest place to do that. Is there anything else on your mind that we talked about or otherwise that you want to bring up? I think the biggest thing is that these patterns of thinking, these patterns of behavior, as we've talked about throughout this conversation, they usually cross a bunch of different disciplines and domains. I I mean, we've talked about it from like a sporting perspective, a business perspective, I think interpersonal relationship perspective. I mean, and while the, the specifics might be different, I think, you know, a lot of the things that people are wrestling with, with identity, with, you know, growth, with this feeling of enoughness, they take different forms, but they're there in all of these, these different ways. So, 
in my experience, if you can really pay attention to those patterns of behavior and find maybe what has worked for you in, in sport and try to apply a similar framework to how you think about your work or how you think about, you know, your relationships or structure, other areas of, of your life, you start to see those parallels and those similarities. I'm a big fan of like analogies. I mean, they're just kind of analogous to, you know, to each other. So I think I would, you know, I would pay attention to that because oftentimes those those same patterns of behavior will pop up from one place to, you know, another. But if you can really get the ship going in the right direction in, in one way, you can oftentimes, you know, apply those same those same lessons to something else and help you to get to a better place with it all. Well, Mario, thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. It was great getting to talk at length about a lot of these different topics that are personally meaningful and I know meaningful to the listeners. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and inviting me on the show. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Mario. I love conversations like this because they're very important to have. It's really easy to get blinded by our passion and it's easy to get lost in external rewards or be too focused on external measures of growth. So I hope that this podcast has provided you with some new tools as you pursue excellence. Thanks so much for being a part of my community. There are many podcasts out there and the fact that you are listening to this one means the world to us. Big thank you to my team, Roma, my audio engineer, and to Palm Tree Podco, who makes sure that this podcast comes out on time, that the show notes are well done, and that the podcast gets posted to social media. I couldn't do this without you. And as always, I am with you, my listeners, on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. I'll see you right back here next week.